Beautiful, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing. So I want to show you a picture of a camel. Could we get that picture up there of the camel? <laughs> so the title of the message today is The Last Straw. <laughs> I'm reading the encyclopedia on this. The Last Straw, the final irritation or problem that stretches one's endurance or patience beyond the limit. From the proverb, it is the last straw that breaks the camel's back. Everybody thinks of a straw as, well, a straw couldn't hurt anything, but at what point <laughs> does the camel's back break? At some point, it's just going to be that one last straw, and it's too much. Let's stand, could we, in honor of God's word. Jeremiah 34, 8 through 22, if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there. Otherwise, we're going to have the words up here on the screen as well. <clears throat> the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. Everyone was to free their Hebrew slaves, both male and female. No one was to hold a fellow Hebrew in bondage. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and set them free. But afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I said, every seventh year, each of you must free any fellow Hebrews who have sold themselves to you. After they have served you six years, you must let them go free. Your ancestors, however, did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Recently, you repented and did what was right in my sight. Each of you proclaimed freedom to your own people. You even made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name. But now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each, each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So I now proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walk between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals." I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them to the army of the king of Babylon, which is withdrawn from you. I am going to give the order, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city. They will fight against it, take it, and burn it down, and I will lay waste the towns of Judah so no one can live there. Would you pray with me, please? <laughs> Father, speak to us. Lord, today's message is so critical to our joy, to our freedom. Lord, I pray for every single one of us that we would hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking today. Please, Father, hide me behind the cross. Please don't let anything I do or am be in a, a distraction. Please, we want to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus and hear him today. We love you. We're going to give you all the glory for every good thing that happens. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. 
point one is the last good king. So last week we were talking about the southern kingdom. We were talking about Hezekiah. And then Hezekiah had this son named Manasseh whose reign lasted 55 years. And he was very evil and led the people into idolatry and actually had Isaiah sawn in two. He had a son named Ammon, who was also evil, and then Ammon had a son named Josiah. And Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And in the 18th year of his reign, something amazing happened. He was a good king. He was always trying to do what was right and, and what would be right for his people, but he had raised money to fix the temple and given the money to the priests and the priests were fixing the temple and while they were fixing the temple they discovered the book of the law in the temple the word of God had been lost in the very temple of God do you know that there can be lots of religion but little truth they had lost the word of truth. They had lost how God said to do it and right in the temple of God and the religion goes on and people go through the motions of religion but truth had been lost. And so they find the book of the law and Josiah is so excited. He says, read it to me. Please read it to me. And so they read the word of God and as they read the word of God, Josiah starts trembling because they are living in a different way than God told them to live and have been living for a long time that way. And he hears about the judgments that are now coming because of the way they've broken the law. And he tears his clothes and he puts ashes on his head and he humbles himself before God and before the word of God and a prophet named Hilkiah brings this word to Josiah. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So this man repents he acknowledges the sin. He acknowledges the justice that God, they deserve to be punished. And we see here the heart of God. The heart of God is so waiting to delay punishment. He, the Bible says that, that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding, overflowing with loving kindness. It was as if God was... He couldn't wait to show mercy. And he just, by a decision, this one man's response just says, you know what, I'm delaying judgment for the whole nation in your lifetime because of the way you've responded. You've captured my heart. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on favor with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So here's what God's saying. <laughs> There's nothing you can do or build that impresses me. I am God. What, what are you going to do that I'm going to say, whoa, thank you for doing that. That is amazing. You are amazing. He says, there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could build that would put me in awe. 
He said, if you want to capture my attention, this, this is what grabs my heart. This is what puts you in the place of my favor. Seek to have a humble and contrite heart. And when my word is spoken, instead of becoming angry and proud and, and resistant, when my word comes, tremble. Purpose that when my word comes, you will not justify yourself. You will justify my truth. You will embrace my truth and let my truth mold you. This is the one I look to. This is the one I esteem. This is the one I pour my favor on. And this is what we're purposing to be as a, as a, as a church. This is why we're going, this is why we stand every week in honor of God's word. We want to tremble at the word of God. We want to know what the truth is, even if it's inconvenient, even if it confronts us, even if it cuts us. God, tell us how it is, not how we wish it was. It's why we're going through the story. The reason why we're going through the story this year is because we live in a culture that has become biblically illiterate. We know movies, we know current events, we know, we know what was on Facebook last night, but we've lost track of the bigger story and what the Word of God says. We want to pay attention to the Word of God. We want to study the Word of God. We want to memorize the Word of God. We want to order our lives around the Word of God because as we do, as we value His Word, God is like, that's, that's what I died for. <laughs> that impresses me. That draws my love and my favor. And so every one of us can be this guy. Everybody can, every one of us can be Josiah. It just, all it's going to cost you is your pride. There is a way which seems right to a man, and the end of that way is death. Don't, don't do what comes natural. Don't just, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is how I want to do it. And this is my opinion. You know what? Um, consider this, your opinion might be wrong. And, and just be okay with that. I, I want God's opinion. I, I want what God says. And I want to adjust my thinking to who he is, not make a new God that fits my frame of mind which is the great danger of our culture. Josiah, a great, he was the last good king. May we all imitate him. Point two. So what led to the complete captivity of Judah? Let's, let's talk about the journey into captivity. So it starts in 605 B.C., Remember, the northern kingdom is gone. The northern kingdom was taken into captivity, never to return in 722 B.C. So this is 100 years later. And now the Judah, the southern kingdom, is doing the same things the northern kingdom is. And God gives warning after warning. And then in 605 B.C., Josiah's son, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim is the king. And in his third year, Daniel and many of the young people are taken into captivity. And some of the treasures of the temple are taken. So Nebuchadnezzar comes to the city. He lays siege to it. He only takes some promising young people and only some of the temple treasure. This is all it has to be. This, the siege, the, the captivity never has to be more than this. God's people can repent right now. They could see judgment is coming. Judgment's already happened at some level. Let's repent. Let's get this thing right. Let's get back in the place of God's favor. But instead of that, they go even farther into idolatry so bad that in Jeremiah chapter 5, here's what, here's what God says to Jeremiah. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. 
Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive the city. You see, do you see God's heart here? God's heart is not judgment. God's heart is mercy. God wants to show mercy. God doesn't need everybody to repent. He just needs somebody to repent. He needs somebody to get right with him. This is why there's so much hope for our nation. He doesn't need everybody to repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will see, I will forgive, and I will heal the whole land. Sometimes we get angry at politicians. Guys, God's eyes are not on our politicians. God's eyes are on the church. God's eyes are on his people. The future of America is not in the hands of politicians. It's in the hands of the church. God's own people. This is where his eyes are today. 11 years later, another siege comes. It's now 597 B.C. This, this siege lasts for two years. It's, it's just so horrible. Babylon takes Jerusalem, uh, Nebuchadnezzar again, and he takes the king. At this time, it's Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin. And he takes him into captivity, never to return. It's just horrible. But it's not complete devastation. This time, what is taken is, last time it was just some of the, the prominent youth. Now it's, it's prominent leaders. Prominent leaders of of, of Jerusalem and of government are all taken into captivity because they've been part of not listening to God, part of rebelling against God. So God takes a lot of the prominent leaders and this time, last time it was some of the temple treasure, now all of the treasure, all of the gold is taken, all of the artifacts, the, the temple still remains but it's completely bereft of all of its jewels. And this is where our text comes in. Nebuchadnezzar, at this time, makes Jehoiachin's uncle, Jehoiakim's brother, Josiah, another son of Josiah, his name is Zedekiah, and he makes him king. So Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, installs a new king of the lineage of David. It's still David's lineage, and Zedekiah becomes king. And Zedekiah has such a great start. He's like, we need to obey God. So here's how they obeyed God. God had said every seventh year, I want all of the slaves to go for I don't want there to be any slaves among my people. People go into debt. People make mistakes. People get in debt. I want them every seven years. I want a jubilee proclaimed throughout the land of freedom. Everybody goes free. Everybody gets a new beginning. And so Zedekiah said, we need to obey God. And so they did. I can imagine the shout for joy. And this can be the end of it. It's devastating. It's horrible. But the city is still intact. The temple is still intact. There are still people. God's people are still in the promised land. This can be the end of the judgment. This can be the bottom. And, and we can come back from this place. But the Bible says this. After they had freed their slaves, they re-enslaved them. After they had set them free, they, they decided, it's not right. It's not right. They owe me. They owe me. And they, the injustice of they still owe me transcended the command of God, and they re-enslaved all of the people of their debts. And God said, that's the final straw. It's over. 
and they went into complete captivity. Nebuchadnezzar came, took Zedekiah, put his eyes out, killed his kids in front of him. Uh, the, 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 the whole land was so entirely devastated. They burned the temple. They destroyed the walls. Ever, ever, the whole city was burned, and the destruction was complete. All of God's people went into captivity. This is in 588. Here's the comment in 2 Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Did you know that God's people, God's legitimate people, God's chosen apple of his eye, beloved people, can live in captivity? Did you know that you can be a Christian, a legitimate Christian? You've accepted Christ, you go to church, you trust God for eternal life, and yet be living your life in Captivity? Or at some level of captivity? Oh, it's true. So we're going to look at point three. Final point. Isn't this going fast? <laughs> point three. Captivity today. It starts out with a with a story that Jesus told. He tells this story in Matthew chapter 18. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God can be compared to. This is what it's like. A king has a slave brought before him that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, in our modern mind, that doesn't really work for us. 10,000 talents, what does that even mean? Talent was a massive weight. It was, how, it was how you weighed the gold and the silver. In the margin of my Bible, it says one, one talent was the same as the income you would get from 15 years of labor. So it was a laborer's wages for 15 years, one talent, okay? So, so 10,000 talents, listen to me, is 150,000 years of income. This is what he owes the king. The king says it's time for payment. The king is about to sell him and his wife and his children are all going to go into captivity. And the slave cries out and says, please, please have mercy. Please have patience with me. And I will, I will, I'll, I'll pay it off. <laughs> the, king, the king is moved by his, I, I, I can only imagine he laughs when he says, I'll pay it off. Really? You're going to pay this off in, in 50 years. 150,000 years of labor. There's no way that you could pay it off. The, the debt is way, way too big. The king feels mercy, not just for him, but for his wife and kids. And he just wipes out the whole debt. He just clears him of the whole debt. Can you imagine the shout of joy? Can you imagine the weight of that debt? being completely taken off. And you can imagine the gratefulness that he walks in initially. I am free. What This is amazing. Isn't the king good? And just, just he probably started out with just love for everybody. But then, something happened. There was a, a friend that had borrowed money from him, and it was a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is one day's wage. 
And he says to him, I want my, I want what you owe me. And the guy says, please have mercy with me. Have patience with me. I will pay you back. And it's very possible that he could pay him back. It's only one day's wage. But he says, no, I want it now. And he begins to choke this friend who owes him one day's wages. Well, here's what happens. Word gets back to the king. The king hears this story and he becomes very angry. And he says, I want that that servant, that slave brought before me and I want him to go into prison and I want to assign torturers to him. Well, isn't that a nice children's story? (laughs) But that's not the horrifying part. That story is bad enough, but here's the application. This is what Jesus, this is right from the mouth of Jesus. This This is Matthew 18, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It concerns me that it says from your heart. Here's why. You know what we're really good at in church? Saying stuff that's not really true. Oh yeah, I've forgiven. I've forgiven, but they did da-da-da-da-da. But da-da-da-da-da. I've forgiven them, but... And, and just because you say you've forgiven does not mean you've forgiven. Just because you say something doesn't make it true. Just because you agree with the pastor preaches and yeah, we should all do that and da-da-da. And then we often presume that we've already done the thing that we really haven't done. We just agreed that we should. James actually speaks of this. Don't be hearers of the word and not doers deceiving yourself. It's easy to become deceived because you love the word of God, you hear the word of God, and you just assume because you love it and agree with it that you're doing it. And in this situation, it's so serious. Well, I don't, you know, I don't think God would ever do that to anybody. I don't think God's like that. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. He is like that. It, it, here's, maybe this, will, may, this may, might make it easier for you. Okay, this is what it says in Ephesians 4.26. It says, do not let the sun set on your anger. Do not make an opportunity for the devil. So here's just another way to look at it. You, you choose to hold on to anger, hold on to hatred, hold on to that debt that somebody owes you because they hurt you, they offended you, they abused you, they cheated you. And so you take your right in your anger to hold on to it. You refuse to let go of it before the sun sets. And so you made an opportunity for the devil. And the devil takes it. Who are the torturers? Demons. And now you're, st- you're still a Christian, still love the Lord, you still go to church, still read the Bible, but something's not working for you anymore. Christianity isn't working anymore. You're not, not feeling joy anymore, not feeling peace anymore, not feel, feel like worship's just hitting the ceiling, feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, and guess what? The world's becoming much more attractive, and there's more to do, and I would never leave Christ. I would never leave my confession, but I become more and more involved in other things because we all have to keep going, don't we? Captive Christians. It is actually fairly easy to forgive up front. In the, in, in the reality of what Christ has done for us to free other people and to say, yes, God, I forgive, is fairly simple. Staying in that place of forgiveness is more difficult. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not become subject again to a yoke of slavery. 
So let me help you make this real. When we were in Faustin, Minnesota, the church there, I've told stories about it before. We went through just a really difficult time at the end and and people were very angry and upset and there was a little hidden group trying to get rid of me and it, it, it was bad. But th- that, uh, you know, people are afraid, people are confused, people, uh, for whatever reason, it's not as much a personal thing, it's just ignorance. Sometimes people get on the wrong side of things with energy. And so your enemies can never hurt you that much. It's your friends that can really hurt you. And we had this this board that were supposedly with me the whole way, but when it came time to take a stand, um, they ended up having this whole big, huge business meeting, and the only person that wasn't invited was me, and everybody got to share all of their accusations and all of their stuff, and because the board just wanted it to be peaceful, and they didn't want to, they didn't want to take a stand for revival. They didn't want to take a stand for what God was doing. They wanted, they wanted revival, but they also wanted unity, and so whatever. They, they did what they did, and um, I knew I was on my way out, and um, we went to another place. God graciously led us to another place. And um, the way he did it was so beautiful and so gentle that I was able to forgive everybody that had hurt me, not just the enemies, but those friends. And, and I was enjoying ministry in Montevideo. Well, there was a funeral in Faustin, four hours from Montevideo. It was dear friends. So I needed to go back to Faustin. See, even when we've really forgiven, just because you're forgiven doesn't mean you're healed. The wound that was created is still there. It will heal by the grace of God over time, but whenever you still have the wound, because see, remember this, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Just because you're not all healed doesn't mean you didn't really forgive from the heart. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. But as long as that wound is, not, is unhealed, there is a chance to get re-enslaved. So I'm on my way to this funeral. And I'm going to see everybody again. I'm going to see all of my buddies. I'm going to see all the board members. I'm going to see it. And I begin rehearsing in my own mind the injustices that happened to me. Something really bad happened to me, folks. By the time I got to the city, I was full-on angry. I was full-on. It was, it was all, I was just filled with self-righteousness. Righteous anger. Righteous anger. Let's put it in quotes. There was nothing righteous about it. And we did the funeral, and then I went out to lunch with what was like my best friend on the board, and I let him have it. I, I said everything I wanted to say, everything that needed to be said of what it felt like to be me. And da, 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 you guys needed to do this, da, 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 you didn't do da, 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 da. And he was just devastated. And I was on my way back. You know, and it might have felt good for the first few minutes sharing what I really wanted to say. But I, I knew something was very, very wrong. And I'm on my way back, and I realize I've said things that are, are, were just mean. The truth was, is this guy, especially this guy, had done... Every, he had taken so many arrows for me. He had taken a stand so much and was, he took a lot and his family took a lot for me. They could not have been more generous to me. And I had done this and I, I, I just was overwhelmed with my ungratefulness and my own injustice. And I got back, I called him immediately, asked him to forgive me, da, 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 da. I learned something that day. You can get re-enslaved. 
So, fast forward, we're in Madison now. 2007, we come here to Mad City Church and thinking it's going to be amazing, it's going to be revival, da-da-da-da-da, and it's, it's really bad. It's, it's really bad, and there's rebellion on the staff, and so they, another church has started called Damascus Road, and and it's it's just it's just bad. Their church their church is growing. Our church is shrinking, and we're on the sidelines. And it's just hard and difficult. And almost every other appointment is somebody that's going to go to Damascus Road now instead of Man City. And because of da 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 da, and we're having to think of how we're going to cut expenses because the income. It's just all difficult. It's really really dark and hard and. I'm, I'm fighting for my spiritual life. So it's 2009, and one of the Damascus Road leaders is going to come back to our staff meeting, and he is going to give an update on the progress and talk about things. And um, he's one of the leaders. He's really a, just a, a, a good guy. I don't know that he ever understood the implications of what was happening on our side. And so I get up that morning and I'm thinking about it and, and I'm thinking about how he needs to know what has happened. It's not all happy and good and, and the people have been hurt and, and this is what I came, I moved my family and I came here and, and it was supposed to be like this and it was like this instead and, and, what, and your ignorance is bliss. Let me tell you what it was like. And this is just, this is just coming up in me and it's that, it's that same thing, but I can't see it. I can't see it. I'm too, I'm too wounded to see it. Thank God before the staff meeting, I had a, a, a discipleship meeting. It was a guy that we met with um, every week, sometimes every other week, and, and we just met for accountability. And usually, frankly, it was usually him talking and sharing his stuff, and I'd encourage him and give him scripture and whatever. And, and that morning, he's like, what's going on with you? And it all comes out. And, um, and he says to me, he says, Tom, please don't do what you're planning on doing. Please do not say what you're planning on saying. He said, there, there's another side to this that, that, that this man has operated in and, and the whole situation looks very different from his side. And he starts explaining this and I start becoming tender and I, then I can see it. I see that I'm operating out of a wound. I see I'm, what's going on, what the enemy has tried to, to raise up in me. And this thing gets cut off. It, it, it's the equivalent of David is about to wipe out Nabal's house. Who is, and he gets his army and he's going to go wipe them out. And Abigail comes and says, don't do it. Don't have this on your record. Don't, don't do what you're planning on doing. Have mercy. And I, it was like that. I felt like this, this man was like Abigail stopping me from doing something. It was going to cause damage. It was going to cause damage for years to come. It was completely unnecessary to cause that damage. Here's what I've learned. This is, this is uh, Proverbs 16.2. All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the motives. You got it. Something like that. <laughs> Different translations, you memorize them in, and then I look bad because it's not the same up there. Okay, it's close. <laughs> you get the idea. So I did my devotional this week on this verse. Has anybody ever seen Gilligan's Island? Raise your hand if you've ever seen Gilligan's Island. Oh, we got some Gilligan's Island fans in here. Okay. Um, so Gilligan's Island, I don't know why it was so popular, but, it, you know, there was probably only three seasons of it, and then they just did reruns forever. And, and I just remember growing up, 
uh, my brother Jimmy, my little brother Jimmy and I, we would get home from school and we just had this routine. We would have a bowl of cereal and we'd watch Gilligan's Island. And uh, they're stranded on this island and it's about all the adventures, all of the times they almost got off the island but didn't get off it. And once in a while, the writers like to do this with the show. So the, epi- the whole episode would be about something that had happened on the island that the members of the island are recounting how it happened. And oftentimes it would start with Skipper. And Skipper would say, well, I remember that. And you'd, go, you'd be back there. They'd take you back there. And in Skipper's telling of the story, he was always the hero. Skipper was all about Skipper and Skipper doing noble right things and, and everybody else is wrong and, and but Skipper is right and, and courageous and he does the right thing and, and then they come back to the present. He, says, he said, and that's, that's how it happened. And, and then they'd have another one tell the story. It might be Professor. And he'd say, he, says, he says, here's what I remember. And now it's the same, it's the same event, but Skip, Professor is now the hero. And then, but they always ended with Gilligan. Gilligan said, yeah, I was there. I remember that. And you'd go back. And in the first two versions, Gilligan is just horrible, stupid, dumb. But now it's Gilligan's own memory and his version of those same events. And somehow he doesn't come off that bad. In fact, he's kind of heroic. And yeah, mistakes were made, but not big ones. And it certainly wasn't his fault. Now, here's the troubling thing. The episode would end, and you never knew what actually happened. No one knows what happened. It's just these people's perspectives. Now, here's the truth about the lives around you. You don't know what's happening. You don't really know what's true. We're oftentimes, we, people are, for the most part, trying to do what's right in their own eyes. For their present place, they are actually trying to do, they're not trying to make your life miserable, they're not trying to destroy you, they're trying to do what's right in their eyes. They're trying to do the right thing. Now, I will grant you the people's motives are often hidden from them. So here's what's really helpful to remember. So are yours. Your own motives for what you do are often hidden. Even those things that you thought were righteous, you don't get to, Paul says, I don't judge my, I'm not gonna, I don't even judge myself until that day. God alone has the right to judge what's actually going on. It's easy to pick that stone up and throw it at somebody else and be their judge. See, this is why Jesus said, don't judge. Do not judge. Do not put yourself in that place. The measure you use will be measured back to you. If you're, if you're filled with criticism and you demand judging others, then God will judge you the same way. But if you're merciful, if you love mercy, blessed are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. This is how it works. Micah 6.8 says this. Oh my, we're out of time. Let's forget Micah 6.8. You'll get it later. Don't worry. I say everything eventually. But this has... Here's what, here's what has to be said. And the worship team can start coming. This, this is what has to be said. Jesus said that he came to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, to um, release those who have been oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Every single Jew listening to him knew what the favorable, he knew, they knew exactly what he saw. The favorable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee. Every seven years they forgave each other. The 50th year, the, the year of Jubilee, Jubilee means to shout for joy. It meant freedom not just for all the slaves, but freedom from all you. Everybody got their property back. Everybody got everything back. 
It was the year of Jubilee. It was the year to shout for joy. Everybody in Israel got a brand new beginning with no mistakes in it. And Jesus said, I came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And when we, when we hear that, we think, oh, oh, we shout for joy because we're forgiven. Isn't that how we think of it? I'm, I'm free. My eyes are open. I'm out of prison. But that's only half of the year of Jubilee. The other half is you have to forgive everybody else. You have to shout for joy over everybody else that got forgiven. Everybody else that you'd been holding grudges against and anger against and, and debt against in your heart. You have, to, you have to proclaim their freedom. It's not enough for you to be free. You proclaim their freedom. You, you can't just shout for joy for your own forgiveness. You have to shout for joy for those that you are forgiving. And two people almost clapped. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, so here, here it is. I, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not going there. You don't need to clap. That's fine. So I had a non-Christian in my office this week, and she had had some horrible things done to her, and her greatest need in her life was to forgive. And I was trying to help her to forgive. And I said, honey, see, I get it. I've been, I've been wounded. I've been hurt. I've been sinned against. To let go of that anger is to let go of justice. That's all I've got is the justice. And I said, there's no way that I can tell you how to forgive without telling you what the gospel is. Here's how you forgive what's happened to you by seeing your own sins against the king. God's holier than you think he is and you're way more unholy than you think you are and the debt that you've run up is 150,000 years of wages. And that king has had mercy. That king has sent his son because he wants to forgive you. He wants to clear you. He doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to then adopt you. And then he wants to give you all of his wealth for all eternity. And it's, it's only in receiving forgiveness and the injustice of God forgiving you that you can now, for his sake, as an act of worship before him, forgive others. So if you're, if you're not a Christian today, the thing you most need to do is forgive. But to do that, you need to start by getting forgiven. God loves you. Jesus died for you. The one that knows you the best loves you the most. Amazing. Pastor John, but what if I'm a Christian and how do I stay in that place of forgiveness? I, I forgive, but the wounds are so bad and the enemy comes and reminds me and, and I just start get. David said it this way, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Go back to the beginning. Go back to your salvation. Keep in mind that you have been forgiven 150,000 days of wages. And live in the joy of that. Live. We are to live lives of gratitude. We are to keep that joy in front of us. And then here's what happens. Nothing sticks to us. People are hurting and yelling and offending and people are angry. And it just goes off of us. And then here's what happens, folks. We, we then become the message. See, Paul says the ministry of reconciliation is this, that God is no longer holding the sins of the world against them. So when we are no longer holding people's sins against them, they actually see the message. They see it lived out. When we are as angry as the world, when we are as begrudging as the world, when we live like the world, they can't hear the message. They don't even know what the message is because our lives are a contradiction. See it? We get free. Does anybody know that this world is angry right now? 
God's looking for one person. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. Not just to recite the message, but to become the message. Okay, let's, that's enough. All right, let's stand. Could we stand? I'm just going to do one prayer and we're going to be done. This is everybody. So you might as well just put your hands in the receive position. Father, I pray for everyone here today that does not know their own sins are forgiven, does not know that the kind intention of your will in sending Jesus to die on the cross was so that you could forgive. You want to show mercy. So just ask him right now, if that's you, just ask him to forgive you. Jesus, I come to you. I come to you. Thank you for having mercy on me. And then, Father, for every Christian here that's become a captive. And even for those that aren't, certainly the enemy is planning on you becoming a captive by raising up offenses. Lord, for all the rest of us, I'm praying this. Lord, that we'd come back to the cross. That you would restore to us the joy of what it is to have our sins forgiven. The shout of joy that I get a new beginning. And then, God, I pray we'd get equally excited about our wife's new beginning, our husband's new beginning, our children's new beginning, our outlaw's new beginning. Whoever it is that's hurt our boss's new beginning. Lord, however horrible it's been, however abusive it's been, however mean it's been, however betraying it's, it's been. Jesus, we bring other people's sins to the cross right now and we say, Jesus, you alone are their judge, not me. I don't even know for sure what happened. You are their judge and it is my worship to you to forgive. And Father, would you see us, even as you saw that man choking his friend, would you see us today releasing our friends? Releasing our enemies. Releasing everybody that has put an arrow in our backs. And Jesus, take away our anger. Heal our wounds. And make us the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.